Hi and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, the sectarianism, proxies and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon and today I'm joined by Irene Costantini. Irene is a research fellow in international relations at the University of Naples in the Department of Human and Social Sciences. She holds a PhD from the University of Trento in the School of International Studies and she has done a lot of really fascinating work on state building, state uh, formation, intervention, focusing on Iraq and Libya. She spent time working out in Iraq. She spent time working in York. And I'm really excited that she's here today to talk to us about her her fascinating work and in particular her her recent book. So Irene, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Simon, for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I, I was saying to you beforehand that I, I read your book and it spoke to so many of the questions that that I'm interested in and that Sepad is working on. So I was really excited that when you agreed to do this, and I'm really looking forward to, to talking through these these comments uh, and observations that you've got in the book. Great, yeah. So let's start at the beginning then. What was it that that prompted um, or provoked an interest in, in the Middle East? And then why, why the academy? Why academia? Well, that's... That's a big question. Um, honestly, becoming a researcher and a researcher on the Middle East wasn't really part of a plan. Uh, okay. I did many other things in my life, honestly. <laughs> um, when I began uni, my uh, initial idea was actually to work in the field of migration and not as a researcher, as a practitioner. Right, and, okay. Um, back then, I also joined some organizations working on refugees and so on. But that idea uh, brought me to studying Arabic, and studying Arabic brought me to uh, spending some time first in Syria and then in Jordan. And I think that there um, I discovered um, how many things I didn't know and I wanted to know. Uh, so slightly, um, I moved from I moved from an interest in migration uh, towards an interest in the Middle East, and. Uh, um, and basically, uh, I started working and trying to read as much as possible on the Middle East. Uh, so I think that was, um, uh, you know, I cannot really say a specific factor that brought uh, that brought me to develop the developing this interest. Yeah. It was more, um, I would say, you know, a cumulative process mm-hmm. of uh, things that I've read, the things that I've. Uh, I've seen people I've met and, uh, uh, you know, some very good professors uh, that showed me uh, <laughs> passion of doing research uh, sure. uh, and research in the, middle, in, in the Middle East. That's really good to hear that the, the Academy still has that ability to inspire. But uh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sure. Can I pick up on your, um, on your journey then? You were, you were doing migration studies and then you... you picked up an interest in Arabic and, and then spent time in in Syria and Jordan. When was that? And what were your what were your experiences of, of Syria and Jordan? Well, it was a long time ago. So um, uh, I was in Syria. That was uh, what? It was uh, uh, 2006. Right. Uh, so quite some time ago. And um, um, I was there uh, doing a language course at the University of Damascus. It was really an interesting experience, not only in terms of like the capacity to 
um, you know, uh, uh, improve my Arabic, but also the um, social political reality that I met. Um, and I think uh, that was the beginning of everything, in a way. Right. Okay. And what were your what are your memories from from Syria in that time? I mean, it's a it's a fascinating period of time in the in the Levant and in the broader Middle East. So you were there at a really interesting time period. But what can you remember? What are your abiding memories of being there then? Uh, well, it's um, it's a great memory. Um, what uh, you know, what strikes, uh, uh, what was striking for me back then, it's uh, um, uh, being in a very welcoming society. Um, I remember um, I was traveling uh, mostly alone around the country and I've always met people ready to help me in, you know, my way out in the country because, of course, my Arabic level wasn't that good, um, uh, you know, to be independent. Um, uh, but I remember a very welcoming Mm. Uh, society, uh, a very uh, the people I met were really interested in uh, uh, in, uh, in 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 me being there and also in uh, um, in knowing more about my own country. So it was really based. Uh, most of the encounter that I had were really based on uh, you know a mutual exchange of uh, you know uh, knowing uh, um, different uh, different realities, different societies different uh, um, different backgrounds um, and and then of course it was also um, a very beautiful country of course uh, that, yeah. uh, you know um, images of uh, old Damascus or Halep uh, it's really it's really then very sad to see uh, what what is now uh, that country was in terms of like the culture uh, the architecture uh, of the country mm, of course I'm curious then you you had this this sort of introduction to to Syria and an introduction to its culture, history, politics, etc., etc. Why did you go down the route of exploring state building, state formation, intervention, etc.? What was it about about those questions that really spoke to you? Well, um, that was really the experience of uh, of uh, Iraq since 2003. Uh, you know, I remember um, taking part in demonstration when I was still in the last year of high school against the war in Iraq in right. 2003. Uh, maybe uh, back then I wasn't really aware of the, um, you know, of the complexity of international politics. But I remember taking part in those demonstrations because I thought that something was really um, was really uh, wrong there. And uh, and later on I remember uh, watching the news. Uh, and seeing, uh, you know, the daily attacks in Iraq and really trying to understand what was going on in the country. And my research is um, very much about, uh, uh, I do um, explore and study local dynamics in conflict-affected countries in the Middle East, but my research is also uh, very much focused on what the international, uh, yeah, the international community does in conflict-affected countries. So somehow, uh, 
um, what was going on in Iraq in the initial period since 2003 was... Um, I would say was really my first uh, research puzzle. How does it? How, how comes that after all these programs for like democracy promotion, economic development, civil society promotion, we still have a situation that is uh, uh, so strongly characterized by violence and instability? And I think uh, those questions uh, um, were. Uh, to a certain extent, and in part, was really uh, were really the beginning of my my PhD research later on. Okay, that's good to know. Before we get on to that that um, that discussion about some of the answers to those questions, can I just check that that the book that we're talking about here um, and the work that we're talking about relates to your your recent book state building in the middle east and north africa the aftermath of regime change so this is a routledge book published in 2018 but is that speaking to the questions that you were engaging in during the phd um well when i uh, was uh, of course my book is a sort of a development from my sure. thesis uh, uh, so yes some of the questions uh, uh, were developed while i was doing my phd then of course there was an entire uh, you know reorganization of my thoughts and uh, the structure of the book so it quite it's quite different from uh, sure. uh, uh, what ended uh, what of what was my dissertation my phd dissertation okay that's good to know and i think it's helpful for for people just getting a sense of how it all fits together but let's let's talk about the book if if that's okay please cuz i think it's fascinating i think it's it's intellectually very provocative and raises important questions about a whole host of of issues, but listening to you talk and and having read the book, it strikes me that you've got essentially a multi layered game going on here, right? You've got the complexity of international politics playing out in an increasingly precarious region where local politics and local political actors and local actors more generally are struggling to position themselves in a in a parabolic set of currents and forces that are are trying to constrain their capacity for action. So would that be fair to say? And if so, how do you even tackle the the different moving parts that are at play in your in your inquiry? Well, yeah, uh, I think you got the core of the book. The book is um, departs from a comparison of post-2003 Iraq and post-2011 Libya. And the comparison is built on two dimensions. Uh, the first dimension is the international dimension, in which I do uh, analyze uh, the types of international intervention that occurred in 2003 in Iraq and 2011 in Libya. Uh, and here I must be uh, quite clear that, of course, 2003 and 2011 were very different moments. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, 2003, of course, was like, you know, a Western project uh, of regime change within the logic of the war on terror, while 2011 was much more a reaction to the popular demonstrations going uh, across the Middle East and North Africa and hitting as well Libya. Uh, and what 
followed these two key moments where um, two types of intervention that are quite different. So Iraq is the paradigm of uh, uh, state building uh, together with Afghanistan. So you've got this heavy uh, liberal peace baggage and this uh, intrusive type of intervention affecting all aspects of the political, social and economic life of yeah. Iraq. Sure. Uh, Libya is a very different case in which you see um, in which you see the distance uh, from Iraq and uh, uh, it's uh, it's more, it was the intervention that was more framed in what now is called uh, stabilization in which uh, you have a different paradigm in which the international community take charge of some aspects mostly related to security I would say uh, but doesn't really want to get involved in uh, um, in a massive process of reconstruction. So you have lowering um, standards uh, related to the intervention and you have the fact that the key word for stabilization is precisely stability. Yeah. So in the case of Iraq, uh, um, stability uh, was perceived as the result of a deep process of change, you know, like um, President Bush was talking about a revolutionary change uh, towards a democracy, a liberal uh, economy, and so on. And as, as a result of that uh, deep uh, and radical change, you could have a stable Iraq. While when it comes to Libya, but also other countries as well, uh, the paradigm now is to pursue stability uh, and change maybe is going to come afterwards. And this, right. of course, has been really criticized in the literature for allowing also a sort of acceptance of um, authoritarian forms of peace. Sure. Um, and what is usually called, uh, you know, the um, illiberal peace um, yeah. framework. So can I pick up on the, the idea of, of liberal peace? And it's it's a really interesting set of debates in, in peace and conflict literature and peace-building literature. But for people who aren't familiar with it, could you just give us a quick... Uh, synopsis, just a brief synopsis of what the liberal peace thesis is and, and how it relates to what happened post-2003 Iraq, please. Well, the liberal peace theory is a set of uh, uh, worldviews and practices that translated then in uh, uh, peace-building and state-building intervention. Uh, to be uh, more precise, uh, state building is a sort of a development from peace building, but it's still framed in, uh, within the liberal peace framework. And the basic idea is that uh, conflict-affected countries can uh, transition from a conflict situation towards um, uh, a peaceful situation uh, through um, a process that involves uh, the, um, the development and the deepening of democratic practices. And so you have the importance of elections, for instance, um, and then reforms in terms of uh, the economy following, you know, the uh, liberal and neoliberal um, 
uh, economic framework. So a growing importance of uh, the private enterprise, for instance, foreign investments uh, and a general um, economic framework based on the rule of law. And, and you've got also some interventions affecting societies, for instance, with the promotion of civil society organizations and forms of uh, um, uh, and forms of uh, uh, civilian participation in the transition. Of course, this is something that has gone on uh, since the 90s yeah. with, the, um, with the affirmation of uh, um, liberal peace building. And so it was applied in very different contexts, but following this blueprint in a way. Uh, since the 2000s, we see a sort of a shift uh, towards a growing attention towards the state and the state as an important part within this liberal project. And the state we are talking about, the state that the international community um, was eager to promote, was really a specific type of state. So it was based on an idea of a um, uh, Weberian state, um, so the monopoly over the legitimate use of force. It was really a conception of the state uh, that was uh, um, uh, measured and promoted against the benchmark of the Western experience of statehood. And of course, then we can discuss whether this experience can be uh, can travel around the world without considering um, historical developments and. Um, uh, and uh, specific contextual factors. Of course, but yeah. In late 2000, you see a sort of like the, the, the liberal peace framework, also because of a changing geopolitical context, uh, is less and less uh, um, a framework of reference for the international community. And this is also uh, related to the failures that uh, Iraq and Afghanistan have been in terms of like the state building project. Do you think the move away? from the liberal peace approach, uh, stemming from the the quagmire of Iraq and Afghanistan, do you think that that was what what was the main reason for a move towards a more um, stabilization driven approach that we saw in in Libya? Or because it, I'm thinking of 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 the the R2P, the responsibility to protect, with the rise of sort of a normative agenda there as well, and that. That's a different way of looking at, at external engagement than liberal peace, I think. More perhaps on the, the stabilisation front, albeit driven by, well, depending on your reading of R2P, driven by a desire to, to protect the human, right? So, so how does that sort of triangulation take place and why do we see the move? Um, that's that's a really uh, key question and a very interesting question. Uh, uh, what uh, what was striking when I uh, began looking at uh, Libya, uh, you know, having um, the Iraqi case uh, in the background of my mind was that uh, when the intervention in Libya. Uh, happened and what happened after the NATO-led intervention in Libya that led to regime change in Libya, um, the, the position of international policymakers really had Iraq 
as a background, uh, as a comparison, I think. That was implicit or explicit. There's um, uh, there's an interesting quote from a, a representative of the U.S. Department. Uh, now, I don't remember the name, but the quote was something like that. Uh, it, um, he was talking about Libya and he was saying um, uh, Libya has a homogeneous population, an homogeneous society. This is really different from, from what we have uh, in Iraq. Libya has a lot of economic resources, so it can sustain its own reconstruction. This is different from the situation in 2003 Iraq. And in Libya, the international community is really uh, united towards what to do uh, towards Libya, uh, and that wasn't the case uh, in Iraq. So based on, on these elements, uh, they built an idea of like Libya being the opposite of Iraq. And so the, the, the experience of, of Iraq, I think, influenced very much what the international community uh, has done in Libya. And if we want to move forward, I think that then the non-response to the Syrian case uh, um, uh, was really due to uh, to the uh, to what happened in Libya. So you've got these. Uh, I think I hinted at this in the book as well, but it's not really a, um, a thing that I developed in the book. Uh, and maybe it's the theme for another research. But I really think it's interesting to see how knowledge about this context and the way in which the international community um, can operate in this context moved from one case to the other. And it's not a cumulative process, like, you know, a learning process. What went wrong in the context uh, we should do differently in another context. It, it's more reactive in a way. So uh, things went uh, this way in Iraq, so we should take another avenue in, uh, in Libya. And without really considering what was uh, the political and social and economic reality in, mm. in those countries. That's really interesting. And you sort of preempted a question that I had actually on Syria, because it's, I think you make that interesting point that what came before impacts on, on the present and what happens in the present impacts on the future, particularly with regard to Syria and the non-intervention, as you say. Yeah, precisely. I think so. It, 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 in that case, it was mostly a reaction from non-Western countries. I mean, I'm talking about the, um, uh, the, the, the non-response in Syria, I think in that case was mostly... Mm, uh, as m was mostly a reaction from non-Western countries. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's uh, it's um, it's uh, well known the position of Russia uh, and partially China uh, in uh, uh, clearly saying that uh, um, uh, uh, they weren't uh, they didn't want to allow. Um, that the uh, Western countries could do uh, what they have done uh, in uh, uh, Libya. So what Libya turned out to be quite a, a chaotic situation, uh, and there was a uh, there was a resistance towards engaging in another country and uh, engaging again in a process of regime change. And here. However, you have still also Western countries that, um, um, that uh, of course, uh, um, they were already uh, dealing 
uh, with Iraq in the situation that uh, was going on with the Islamic State and so and so on, uh, and Libya and also. Uh, so I think that was um, that influenced the way in which then the international community uh, reacted towards uh, towards Syria. Also in terms of what you mentioned before, in terms of the responsibility to protect, uh, that worked as a framework towards uh, uh, Libya and the Libyan society, but it wasn't really applied in the case of Syria. Yeah, of course, we then saw those those powerful images of, of young Syrian children holding up signs saying R2P, RIP. Exactly. Yeah. Irina, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about regional and international factors, but, but what about the local developments? Some of the, the more fascinating material I found in the book stems from discussions of statehood and state formation and the different typologies of of states in the region, moving away from the, the, the stereotypical barbarian model. So how important do you think domestic factors are in these, um, in these processes of external intervention? Um, I think they are important, and uh, uh, the key argument that I make in the uh, in, that I make in the book is precisely that the situation that we see in Iraq and Libya nowadays is the result of uh, the encounter between state building as a set of policies uh, designed internationally and mostly by Western countries, and a process of state formation, which is instead a very uh, locally based process that is not not theological, it's quite messy, it works in the informal domain as well in the formal domain. And uh, I think that what we see in these two countries is actually um, um, uh, the consequences of the encounter of these two different processes uh, that both target the state, but they have a very different conception of what the state is. And so in the book, I, 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 I call them trap states. Yeah. Um, uh, because I see these states as having two sets of, uh, as presenting two sets of tensions. So the first one is a tension between um, old modes of organization and articulation that comes from a process of state formation and new forms of state. Uh, that are those that are um, introduced by uh, the international intervention, and sometimes they are uh, quite, uh, you know, empty shells. And uh, they do generate those contradictions that we see in these countries nowadays. And the second set of tension that I identified in the book is this tension between uh, the state becoming irrelevant for society, so like people access the state through other social and societal actors, uh, being them tribes or like uh, um, cities or like uh, political parties uh, and so on. And on the other hand, the state still presenting a threat to the population and thus uh, um, creating a space uh, where um, actor can organize violently against the state. And I think Iraq and Syria, uh, uh, sorry, Iraq and Libya present yeah. uh, these, uh, um, these dual uh, tension and uh, this contradiction between these two processes. So there's a, there's a bit of a, a strange phenomena starting to occur then. The state is 
if I've understood you correctly from what you've said now and, and from the material in the book, the state is, is waning in importance, but it's still a real important site of, of contestation amongst local actors and international actors, although it's generally accepted to be waning in its importance. Yeah, it is waning, but um, but still, it's uh, it's the key reference point. Uh, it is the key reference point for uh, society, uh, but also for the international community. To the point that the international community sometimes creates state. Uh, uh, structures uh, to engage with the state. So the international community needs to have um, a state counterpart to talk to, uh, yeah. to direct, uh, to channel uh, its assistance, uh, um, to 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 check for like security or counterterrorism. So there is uh, these, I think, uh, interesting uh, contradiction between the state waning but still uh, remaining the key point of reference. And there's so many philosophical reflections that can be teased out of all of this and. I think you you nod to to many of these in the book and in this conversation now, which is absolutely fascinating, and it's it's left me with lots to to reflect on moving forward. So I uh, I really appreciated that that additional layer of, of sort of philosophical inquiry pointing to important reflections about the universality of states, the relativity of of particular concepts. So I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Thank you. So we've taken up quite a lot of your time already, Irina. So thank you so much for, for joining us. I've really enjoyed this. Um, I've got, again, a lot to think about moving forward. But I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come and talk to us today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Simon, for the opportunity to have this conversation. It's a pleasure. I look forward to having them again sometime when we uh, talk about the the updated version to include the failings of Syria and and elsewhere. But thank you so much, Irina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Simon. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.